Welcome to Brain Power with Dr. Echo, where each week we discuss how your family can boost brain health by addressing mind, body, emotional, and environmental health. And now here's the episode. Hello, parents. Today I have an amazing guest with me, Dr. Joy Bell. She's an educator and an executive function coach. I'm telling you, you're in for a treat today. So Dr. Joy, thank you so much for coming on here to share your wisdom. And please introduce yourself to our parents. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is uh, such an honor to be a part of such an important uh, work and your works especially. So this is my gift and my honor to be here. Um, I am uh, Dr. Joy Bell. Uh, I know that I only look 22, but I've been in education for over 30 years in many different roles. I've served as principals and heads of schools and worked at the college level. A lot of experience working with children, but what really gets me excited is putting the light and keeping the light on in the child's eyes. And so I help parents and I help kids and I help school systems and administrators to do whatever we need to do to help to keep that light on and to meet the needs of children at whatever stage they are in their journey. Oh my goodness. Yes. I love what you said. Like your passion is to keep the light on in the, your child's eyes. Isn't that what we all want as parents? That our children can stay alive and glow with everything good from the inside out and especially with their eyes. So with that being said, can we talk about how in a holistic manner we can support our children emotionally who have ADHD and autism? What are some strategies that you teach parents to address the emotional struggles that our children go through? I think the first thing is you have to know your child. There are a lot of strategies that are out there, but you have to know your child and be able to look in their eyes, watch their behavior, see what they're doing, not only in the, the home environment, but also in, in other environments. And that will help to guide you in meeting their needs. So the first thing I would recommend is listen and watch because the information that you learn by listening to what your child is saying, sometimes not saying, listening to your child's teacher of what's happening inside of those spaces, sports, all of the different spaces where your child is, then that will give, give you the information that you need to then figure out what it is that you need to do. In terms of helping your child, that's where I would start. And then you would then think about what is it that they're showcasing? What are they asking for help on? What is, what is concerning them? And then we would just devise strategies. So is there a specific strategy that you'd like to, me to speak to? Yes. I would like um, us to talk about practical things that parents can do. Yes. Practical things that parents can do is first of all, if your child is school age, which is, I work with children that are school age and above and adults, yeah. I would meet with the classroom teacher, find out what types of things are happening inside the classroom. You don't need a diagnosis. Your child does not need a diagnosis to have support. We just have to see evidence of the behavior. So if your child is in, in the classroom, for example, because there's so many different scenarios, so I'm just going to go with the school one. Let's say that your child's teacher has reached out to you. They're concerned about some things. There's not a diagnosis. I would meet with the classroom teacher to find out what's going on. What's happening with that child? Is it a attention issue? Is it a lack of attention issue? Is it showing up as a behavior concern? What's going on? And then I would start there with working with the educator. A lot of times I meet parents and they want to do the work outside of the school, but your child is in that school environment for seven to eight hours a day. It would make sense that you would partner with the educator, with the child 
in-house teacher, with the 504 coordinator, with the IEP coordinator to figure out how can we determine what, what's best for my child in this environment. Absolutely. Yes. And of course, remembering that your teachers are human beings and how we approach them is important. Coming at it from an angle of partnership versus you person who's not doing what you should be doing for my child. So, yeah, that's so important. You know, I always come from the vantage point of I've been a parent in that space where I didn't partner well. And when you do that, it it not only hurts the relationship with your child's teacher, which is really your partner, but it hurts your child because they don't get to know them well. They don't get to know you well. And in many spaces, if we think about it this way, we hold the history of our children. So we have a a classroom teacher that has them for nine months that met them in August and they're seeing all sorts of things, but we can bring in the history for our children um, and really help that person to understand them in a holistic way, not just, um, I met them in August, this is what's going on, but let me give you a little history about them. So it is so important that we not look at that child's teacher and team as the adversary, but really they're a part of the partnership in the village that we're building to help our child to succeed. Woo, so well said. My goodness, yes, that is so critical because you're absolutely right, our kids, spend most of their day in at least nine months of the year, most of yes. their time spent there with this person. So it's best to be friends with them. We know that children with ADHD and with um, autism, they do struggle with emotional support and even feeling resilient. What are some simple strategies parents can use to promote resilience and emotionally support their children? That's such a good question. When I meet with parents, that emotional resilience is such a big deal. Resilience has become a a big, uh, an area of opportunity, should I say. Um, Children often say, I don't know, I can't do it. I'm not sure there's a sort of fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. And so when you're working with children, when I'm working with children with ADHD and with parents, that's the first thing I start with. Where is it in your child's spaces? Is there this fixed mindset? I, I can't do it. I won't be able to do it. I've always had trouble with it and they can't, we can't move them versus the growth areas where it's like, I'm really good at this. I, I love reading. I love math, but spelling is not my jam and, and, and writing is, I just not good at it. And so I would say a practical strategy for a parent is to identify the areas of opportunity where your children are just in a, they, they can't quite move. They've had some you know, a long pattern or history of not being good at fill in the blank there. And so we want to help them to sort of move them from that mindset of I can't do, I won't ever be able to sit still, to focus, to have friends, to, to, for my teacher to love me, whatever it is that has impacted their life and impacted their world and, and help to move them. This is not a, a short-term process. It's just not, I, you know, I always tell parents we're sort of in this age of, you know, fast food and the quick fixes in 30 days, I'll be rich and all the things. When you're talking about children with ADHD and, and the struggles, this is not a short-term fix. It's a long-term process. And mm-hmm. so the fixed mindset, which may seem like, well, Joy, that just seems so basic that I need to find out where my child is stuck in their thinking and in their movement. But it's really not because if we can figure out where with with the root of where they're feeling they can't, they won't, they won't ever, then we can address the root because that's going to show up past third grade, past seventh grade, past high school, into college, 
in their workplace, right? So that same child that you're looking at, this sweet little baby, little third grader, is going to be at someone's workplace at such a point. And you don't want that person, now adult, to say, I'm sorry, uh, supervisor, I won't, I don't, I'm not good at writing. I can't think outside of the box. I'm not a great critical thinker. Find someone else. So it's important as a beginning strategy that fixed versus growth mindset and have conversations with your child to identify what some of those are and maybe start working on two of them. And that would be my first thought to you in terms of the strategy. The second is what I've found in my experiences, I'm sure yours is the same, is that when you have children with ADHD or have any sort of neurodiversity, a lot of times their self-esteem and their confidence has been wounded. That is the only way that I could describe it. They come into the spaces when I meet with them with just sort of the weight of the lower self-esteem and not feeling well and not feeling good about themselves because of the experiences. And you would as well, right? If you're the child that your teacher's always saying, sit down, stop doing that. I, I told you that. Why didn't you bring your planner? Why is your homework not here? If you're always that child in a room of kids where all the light is on you and it's not in a positive way, your mental health, your confidence, your self-esteem will be impacted, right? And so a second strategy is I would say, whether it's you or you seek out a therapist for your child, maybe you can be the, the person that says, no, no, you're brilliant. Like, I know this is hard for you, but you can do it. And again, we're not placating and we're not ignoring what's happening. The struggles for these children are real, but we're providing some light for them. We're providing um, a pathway. We're lighting it up for them. Let them know, yes, you're struggling here, but you've got this. Mama believes in you. Daddy believes in you. My, the teacher believes in you. So I would say the second thing that I feel like is, is at the very top of the list is really their confidence, their yeah. self-esteem and finding out where that's that's taken a hit and try where, however you can with that to sort of raise that up. Yes, speaking life to your children, because frankly, we can't expect anybody else to, unless we're like blessed and we have good people around your child, but really it starts from home. So yes, speak life to your children. And I like what you said about growth and fixed mindset. And I always like to point out parents, we have to work on that ourselves. Because if we have a fixed mindset, guess who's going to teach that to the young person who's looking at you? Because kids will do more what you do more than what you say, right? Yeah, because we're modeling for them, right? And it doesn't matter, you know, I remember when I grew up and it's like, do what I say, not what I do. Right. But children from the very beginning, they begin to model what it is that we are doing, regardless of what's coming out of our, our mouth. So as you said, if I, as a parent, I say, well, I'm just not good at this, or I can't do that. That's what your daddy does, or whatever the case is. Well, you know what? This is not a strength of mamas, but I'm, I'm willing to try. I'm willing to give it a try. So it gives them the language that they don't have currently to be able to to work through those mazes and those obstacles. Right. Absolutely. So well said. So we know that parenting a child with ADHD or autism can be really emotionally challenging because of all the different aspects you have to take into consideration. So how do you equip parents to integrate like healthy mental, I mean, mental well-being practices into their day and into their lives for themselves first and then their kids? Well, I love that you keep saying that about ourselves, because I think about when, you know, you're on the airplane and now, you know, we get on the airplane, we just want to get our stuff and putting our iPods in, but the, the little beautiful stewardess and men are talking about putting that, that air, you know, putting the little thing on yourself first, if something happens. And so we have to make sure that we're well 
or we're pouring out of an empty bucket. We have nothing to give. And these sweet babies need so much. So we can't, we have to take care of ourselves. So I love that you, you say that we're modeling, we're taking care of ourselves. So one of the things that I, that I encourage parents to do is to foster open communication mm. with their children and allow them to express their feelings. I grew up in an era where it's sort of like, you're okay, you're fine. You're not feeling that, you're good, you're strong, you're powerful, you all, all the things. And you are all those things. And your children are all those things, but maybe they're frightened. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they don't feel good about themselves. Maybe they, as their self-esteem is taking it, let them express their emotions. Mm-hmm. The second thing that I would advise would be to educate yourself as a parent or a guardian or whomever you, the grandmother, the auntie, whomever you are about ADHD and the challenges that, you face. And I say that because a lot of times we don't have the empathy. If we don't experience it ourselves, then it's sort of like, I don't understand why you keep forgetting this. I don't understand why I have to keep telling you this over and over and over again, not understanding this is a brain thing. This is a brain. It starts at the brain level. So if we have our own education, then we can help them. Listen, I also would suggest that we help them to celebrate small successes and small successes may be that they made their lunch. Oh, they put it in the car. And they brought it into the building. Like, you know, you got you, like you made your lunch, you, you, you brought that to school. I'm so proud of you. So again, that seems like such a small thing, but no. or, it's no. not, it's not, it, it's not. And so celebrate the small um, successes. I think another thing that I would, would encourage is to teach emotional regulation techniques to your children, deep breathing, mindfulness, because if we tell them that they're not feeling the feelings, then, then we, we can't show them how to deal with the emotions. So we have to acknowledge the emotions that they're feeling and then show them how to navigate them with emotional regulation. That, that can be deep breathing, whatever it is that we do. I would also encourage, this is a big one for me. Um, and I, this is, I'm an educator, but I love the hobbies for the kids. Find something that they're good at outside of school. Find something that they don't have to think about if they can remember, if they forgot, if they, that they're not, that they're not, that they're not. But I am a rock star soccer player. I am the best pickleball champion of the world. So give them something that the light is just on for them. You don't have to turn it on. It's just on for them. And as I said before, I would say collaborate with teachers again anyone that has their hands on your child. I love what you said again, that we are their first teachers. So I think there's a confusion there has been over the last probably five, 10 years that here's my child. I take them from my home. I deliver them to the school, fix them, make it right, make it all well. And I, no, 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 no. We are, we are their first everything. And yes. then we reach out to partner with the others. Um, and so you are the first teacher. You are the first modeler, all those things. And so we can't give our job to the to the school, but they're there seven to eight hours a day. So we better well as partner well with those people in that space with, with our children. Absolutely. And just piggybacking on that statement you made about advocating for your child and not just dropping them off. For parents that feel overwhelmed with the notion of doing that, what are ways that they can approach it so it doesn't feel so overwhelming and they feel empowered to do that? I think that for me, everything, and this is sort of the, probably the way that my brain is wired, everything becomes starts with a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. I know there, there are parents that I work with, they're, they're like, well, I don't even know how to put language to what I want to ask or this question, or I feel like maybe the teachers know a lot more than I do. And I'm not an educator, so I don't think I have a right to say anything. You absolutely, as the the guardian, the caretaker of that child, you always have the right. And it may just be in the meeting. Listen, 
I'm sure you guys are already doing this with joy, but here's some things that I was seeing at home and maybe this will be helpful for you. So if you approach the conversation in a non-threatening way, you are not the educational expert, but you are, you are Joy's mama and you are her expert. So yep. if you can sit in the seat of the parent and knowing them better than anyone else in that room, then you'll feel more confident to just share your experiences with Joy. Just share the struggles that she's seen over the years. Or at the very beginning of every year, Joy's always going to have this trouble. But by October, she's going to be fine. So uh, you probably are seeing this, but don't worry about it. It's going to clear up. So all of this information is going to help you to provide the picture of your child and also to give that teacher some information that, that she would have. So don't feel threatened by the educator. Mm -hmm. They're an expert in their field. You're an expert in your child. I love that. Yes, we're experts in our children and there's nothing to be afraid of. It's the same thing I tell parents when I see them. I'm like, you know your child best. I'm seeing them for five minutes and I have to believe you if you tell me your child runs all over the room, even though they're sitting quietly and, and looking at the phone, it's because you know your child best. So please, please parents feel empowered to speak up for your children and to advocate for your, the well-being of your children. So what are some more um, practical things that parents can do to help, like just foster a sense of well-being in the home? One of the things that I think is important and has been my experience is that children with ADHD, with autism, um, it becomes the families. It's not just that child. It, it becomes everything that's the rhythms of the home, whether it's Joy's always going to forget. So then the brother has to help remember and the, and the such and such has to do that. It, it becomes something that it's just, it's not just one person, it's the whole home. And so the rhythms of the home are around what is going on with that child, how to encourage that child to help the child to remember, how to help them at school. I mean, everything becomes a part of that, and which is great. We need that. But I, another thing I would say is to sort of set us some boundaries and give that child, there's there's going to be in that in your home, right, where two hours is going to be homework, but you should not all the way into the midnight, be trying to, you know, taking the child's time. They haven't eaten dinner yet. They haven't had time to play. I would say to set around some boundaries around your day, around your weekends. Um, again, it seems like very, very simple, but when you have a child with ADHD, it is in the very fabric of the home and the rhythms, and sometimes it can take over. So yeah. I would encourage parents to not only give their child a break, but to give themselves a break from the rhythms because it can be, it can feel very stressful and overwhelming. When I meet with parents, when I meet with kids, I can all, I often meet with parents as well and they're frustrated and they've been doing this for 10 years or they've been doing this for 17 years and man, it's like they're tired. And so I would say as a way of helping your child, help yourself. Let's, let's talk about some self-care strategies for the mama, for the auntie, from the, for the grandmother, for the dad. Um, for the caretaker, because you're on this, um, I would say, wheel train all of the time. And parents, right. here's what I found. Parents that don't have children with neurodiversity don't understand what that means because they're like, oh, I just tell Joy to just go over to the corner and just do that math. And Joy goes over to the corner, has a little snack, comes back with it all done, it's perfect. And it's, and that's, and that's and we go off to soccer. Well, no, 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 no. And in another home, you, you don't send them off. You're, you're, maybe you're right next to them. You're prompting them. They're having trouble with multi-step things. So you're having to remind them, yes, you do know this. Go back to step number one. You are a part of their schooling, their life, their rhythms. And so I would encourage, as minor as it may seem, is to set boundaries to that. Even 
I would even say when you come home, don't start right away with school. That child's been in a full-time job all for eight hours. Give them an hour. Give them time to have a snack or to watch one of their little favorite shows or to go outside and play and and do a brain reset and then come back to the work of working. Love that. I love the giving the breaks and the brain reset. There is such a thing as a brain reset. The brain literally needs to reset. And even for parents struggling with homework, you can take what we call brain breaks. Like how long does your child focus for, right? If it's, if you notice it's 10 minutes. Okay. So have them set a timer for 10 minutes. And then when the timer goes off, then they have like a two minute break. So their brain can reset and then they come back again for another 10 minutes. And you'll find that the whole fight about homework and staying till midnight, that will definitely decrease because now she's, your child feels empowered and they're like in charge of their timing, right? And, and they feel better when they have the break. So, and then you feel better because you're not yelling and screaming and feeling frustrated. So we're all about how can we help both parents and children bond together and heal together and grow together? Because that's the only way the family will survive and thrive, right? So. Absolutely. That's that's the only way, right? Because this, the, the stress and the feelings that this particular, the neurodiversity can put on a family, is it's a lot. And as we talked about before, because there's not a cure. Like, okay, we started today. Like, you're all, all better, all's well, like having a cold. Uh, in two weeks, I can promise you that this is going to go away. Um, we're just, all we're doing is we're strengthening their muscles. We're strengthening their their organizational muscles. We're strengthening their impulse control muscles. We're strengthening all of those muscles to help them as they're going to navigate other changes. I think another thing is to realize is that you may have a child that's doing really well. And now I mean, you've seen the turn. And then there may be a transition or something that happens in their lives and there's a regression. And you're like, I thought we had this mastered. I thought we had a plan for this. And you did. But there, if there's a trigger or a transition or different things that are happening, new environment, all of those things can trigger a regression. And some of those things that you thought we handled that last year, we mastered that in sixth grade. We thought that was gone forever. Well, it was gone until they had a new teacher. And so now we're in a different year with a new teacher that has to get to know them and they have to get to know. And so some of those things will show back up. You just start strengthening those muscles again with your child and don't say to them, I, I thought you knew this already. And we've already, you know, every fifth grader already knows how to write in their planner. Um, and that kind of, deal. don't do that because you don't want to be, um, you don't want to partner with wounding uh, them, right? Uh, because your words as the parent, as the one who has their heart is going to just hurt them so badly. So when you see that regression, which you will at different points, just say, oh, I know you could do this, Joy. You remember last year, you brought that homework home every day. I signed your planner. You got this. It's just going to take a little time for you to get back into the groove. And so that those are just some of those basic things that I see parents able to do. And they begin to see those small changes and that light that maybe is dimmed in their eyes. You can see the light, the flickering that begins to come back. And that's what we want to see. Yes. We want the lights to be on child's eyes and in your eyes too. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Oh my goodness. This has been so wonderful. So please tell parents listening where, I mean, about the services that you offer, which are amazing, by the way. Well, thank you so much. Well, Grace Space Educational Consulting is my company and 
I'm the founder and CEO. And I always tell people that just means that if something goes right, they, they give me credit. If something goes wrong, I'm in trouble. We have a few branches of Grace Space. Specifically, we have executive function coaching for children and that, and through adults, actually. So, you know, fifth grade on. So we work with adults in, in their workplaces or in their lives, but we also work with children. So really the spectrum of ages there, supporting them and helping to strengthen those muscles that need some connecting there. So executive function coaching, I work with parents as well. As I shared before, if, if the child is going through something as a parent, we are as well. And so a lot of times parents just need support on how to support their children. So I, we, we do that as well. Grace Space also will partner with you as it relates to um, your 504s, your IEPs. Maybe you have a child that does not have a diagnosis, but I may recommend that we go through that process and review the data and then make recommendations at a 504 meeting or an IEP meeting as an advocate. We talked about sometimes parents go, I don't know what to ask for. I don't know what they need. Well, we do. And so please reach out to us and we can help with that. We can also audit your current 504 IEP because children change. So what they needed last year as a third grader, they may need something different. They've gone through a summer, they've eaten a lot. Their brain is developed. So we can support just auditing existing things as well. For organizations, we can visit you and your staff and just teach on these topics. So many, but executive function and how to support not only the kids, but also to support the teachers and administrators as well. So that's a little bit about what we do. I think at the heart of it, we just love supporting children and their families and organizations because if we can get those three working together, then our children are going to be successful for the long term. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much for using your gifts to make lives of children and their families better. That's so wonderful what you're doing. I I was like, wow, you even audit the 504 plans because that's important, right? We make these plans and then the child needs more help or less help and we never go change them. So that's so important that we are continuously looking at the needs of our children as they age and as they grow up. Please, parents, take advantage of her wonderful services. You see, she's an amazing lady, right? I'm sure you can tell. I know that for sure. So yes, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your wisdom with our parents today. And I'm so grateful to have come across and to have met you. I haven't met you in person yet, but pretty soon, right? Pretty soon. So have a wonderful day, parents. I hope you enjoyed this and I hope you took some notes and please reach out to Dr. Joy for the consult. Have an amazing day. Bye. Bye, everyone.